So we'll just spend the next uh, half an hour or so talking a little bit about more about mundane right view as Ajahn Yataka introduced. Um, <clears throat> I was just thinking that uh, in a way we might have gotten a little bit turned around in what we were going to talk about because this afternoon after the, the meal break, Ajahn Yataka is going to go more into detail about specifically about kama or karma, if you're used to the Sanskrit word, kama being the Pali word. Um, and I was going to talk a little bit about all the other things that he mentioned in terms of mundane right view this morning, but in a way, it's all related to to an understanding of of cause and effect. Um, and I'll try not to say too much to uh, leave Ajanyataka uh, space for that this afternoon. Um, but just to say that um, you know, it's it's a karma. Karma is sometimes a a bit of a it has many different interpretations, many different ways people use it. It's, it's the word itself has become, you know, has been picked up and used in the West in, a, um, in many different ways. Um, and the Buddha's teaching on it is, is actually fairly specific. And, and it was a word that was used uh, at the time of the Buddha, even before the Buddha started teaching. But he um, taught about karma in a different way than was being understood and used um, just prior to him. So there's a lot of uh, teaching and, and discussion and questions that will probably come up around that this afternoon. Um, but basically, you know, and then, and, uh, you know, a lot of people may not want to believe about kama or um, talk about kama or think that it's, it's worthwhile considering um, or that it's just really foreign, but... Um, in a way, I think that probably just about everybody who's here today, even if not consciously um, operating based on some sort of appreciation of that, uh, that topic, is, 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 uh, even if not consciously doing it, we're just operating in that mode anyway because you know, essentially it just means that um, it matters what I do. It matters what um, I think, how I operate in the world. Um, and that if you didn't think that maybe you would get something out of coming here today, that there would be uh, some result of your coming, maybe just a, a little bit more understanding or a little bit more peace or a little bit more of an idea, if you didn't think that that was a possibility, um, you wouldn't be here. Uh, so just knowing that coming here might result in something is acting on the belief of kama, that what I do makes a difference. And essentially, that's what, it, that's what you know, the, the law of kama means. It's sort of like what, whatever I do you know, intentionally, uh, with some sort of intention, is going to have some result. You may not know what it is, um, but uh, it's operating on that principle. Um, and, and a lot of the other teachings on this mundane right view kind of stem from that, that notion of, of you know, whatever I do with my body, with my speech, with my mind... Um, you know, it's going to have, intentionally, it's going to have some, some sort of result. Um, and hopefully, you know, you know, I think that most of us realize that our motivation in life is just to uh, have a greater sense of well-being, a greater sense of happiness. Um, and so uh, that being our motivation, we try and, and develop... Um, 
strategies in life to, to uh, result in that. So we're looking for, essentially, what we're really doing, whether we know it consciously or not, is looking for skillful ways to create wholesome results that make us suffer less. That's what we're operating under, whether we realize it or not. Um, so we're all really acting under that, uh, under that law of karma, whether we consciously do it or not. <clears throat> and so, um, you know, what the Buddha is saying is, is that if we uh, adopt wrong views, then, you know, the likely possibility is, is that the things that we do, the strategies that we adopt, are going to result in uh, more painful uh, experiences. Um, if we're operating out of a sense of selfishness or uh, greediness uh, or aversion or you know hatred, things like that, um, you know, in our attempt to find some sort of pleasure or satisfaction in life, if we operate with those uh, modes in mind, then essentially we're going to end up thwarting ourselves, and we're going to end up creating more difficulties for ourselves or other people than than we are. Um, if we adopt skillful strategies, you know, that aren't based on acquisitiveness or greed or delusion or, or um, negative states of mind. Um, so he's basically saying, you know, the, the whole eightfold path that he talks about um, is uh, an unfolding of, a, you know, a result of a, a way of skillfully applying our understanding of of what's really going to make a difference in our lives. And that's what right view does, is it helps us define that so that we have a basis for the rest of the the path, uh, the rest of the Eightfold Path, right view being sort of the first factor. If we have right view, then, you know, right intention, which is the the practices and the the development of the mind states of of, um, simplicity and kindness and and non-harming, that follows from, from having a right view. Naturally, that's what we will incline to develop in our minds. And then from that, we'll follow acting in ways that uh, are you know, morally positive, ways that don't harm other beings. Um, we'll uh, talk in ways that are, are gentle and, and uh, truthful and lead to um, harmlessness. And we'll... Um, practice, start developing the mind, meditation, practicing mindfulness and concentration with the um, idea of, of developing a deeper understanding of um, you know, how we can create uh, a, a world in ourselves, a world of the mind uh, that leads to uh, not suffering. So it starts with this right view, this um, way of uh, developing an attitude of, of um, understanding about well, why are we why are we doing what we're doing? Um, how is it that we can maximize uh, our happiness uh, in a long term way that really leads to to the end of of, of our dukkha, the end of our suffering, uh, the end of unsatisfactoriness in life? Um, so. Um, So going back to the definition of, of mundane right view that Ajahn Yataka started with, um, you know, he, he, he talked about the, there's that uh, phrase, which I used to think was very enigmatic, there is nothing given, nothing, or there is, there is what is given, what is offered, what is sacrificed, uh, there are the fruits of good and bad actions, um, uh, there is 
this world and the other. Essentially, there's rebirth, uh, there is f- mother, there is father, um, and uh, pointing out the existence of uh, knowledgeable and pra- well-practiced contemplatives. Um, you know, it, it all sound very, when I first heard it, it all sound very vague and kind of symbolic, and I had no idea, what is this, what is this, there is mother, there is father, what does that mean? Um, so setting aside the, the, the fundamental uh, teaching in that around, around um, uh, Kama, um, I just wanted to talk about some of those other aspects, um, uh, particularly the, the aspect of, of generosity, of uh, how we relate uh, to the idea of our, our parents, mothers and fathers, and and that uh, the presence of, of wise people in the world, and what does that mean for us? Why you know why do we care about that? Um, uh, just beginning with that that first one, um, there are the um, there is what is given, there is what is offered, uh, what is uh, sacrificed. Um, basically, as Ajahn Yatiko mentioned, that's the teaching on generosity, um, and um, I think the Buddha. Um, really emphasizes over and over again um, the importance of developing that attitude, the Pali word dana, uh, meaning generosity, um, developing that skill of practice um, and the benefits of generosity are, are um, incredible. Um, you know, a lot of us, I think, come into to meditation, Buddhist practice, and the emphasis so much here in the West is on the development of meditation, uh, the practice of meditation, development of mindfulness, ways of reducing stress in our lives. Um, and sometimes, you know, the fullness of, of the practice, the fullness of the path is sometimes, I think, sidelined a bit. Um, and and um, we kind of have to find our way into it uh, backwards. And if you're familiar at all with uh, you know, Asian cultures, traditional cultures where Buddhism, uh, you know, has been in practice for many, many centuries, really, to over 2,500 years, um, you'll, you'll, you'll know that, you know, the, the practice of generosity is fundamental uh, in, in some of these Buddhist cultures. Um, our tradition comes from Thailand. Um, and if you've ever been to Thailand, it's something that almost everybody picks up immediately. It's just how imbued in that culture, which is essentially, you know, not completely, but largely a Buddhist culture, how um, ingrained in the people almost since birth is, is the act of generosity, the act of giving. Um, uh, not through any kind of moral imperative, but because people just delight in it. It, um, it, it, it opens the heart. Um, and um, you know, just right from the right from birth, um, that just is part and parcel. Uh, giving is part and parcel of, of that uh, of the way of life. Um, and the Buddha talks about that in in many different contexts um, uh, about the power of, of giving, the power of generosity. You know, essentially at the at the core of it. It's one of the fundamental ways that we can transcend our selfishness, our self-view, the, the notion that I am the center of the world. You know, we talk a lot about not-self in, in uh, Buddhist practice, and that is a contemplation. We'll talk about that more later on. Um, but even more fundamental than that is just how we live our lives. And if we live our lives not thinking about giving or generosity, 
too much, then, then that just increases this whole um, notion of, of getting, getting what it is I need. You know, if I don't take care of myself, nobody else will. You know, those attitudes that maybe some of us, and I know I, was, I grew up with those kinds of things. And it's like, you know, you know, I'm number one. If I, don't, if I don't take care of myself, nobody else is going to, you know, get what I need kind of a thing. Um, whereas, the, you know, the Buddha teaches that uh, the act of giving is so powerful and sets, such a, um, sets up such a state of mind that is, is um, peaceful and open uh, such that it makes our, our um, practice in realizing the end of suffering just that much more stable and fundamentally sound. Um, so he, he talks over and over again about the power of, of giving uh, and its ability to, to ennoble the mind. Uh, in, the, in the commentaries, um, not so much in the details of the, the suttas themselves, but in the commentaries, they kind of analyze it into, into three different kinds of generosity. Um, and the, the first one that's talked about uh, is the one probably that most of us are familiar with. They call it a misa dana, or the, the, the giving of material offerings, um, the offering of um, requisites, of, of different kinds of supports for life um, that we can give to other people. Um, you know, food, clothing, shelter, um, uh, service, our time, our help, um, uh, the uh, attention uh, to someone who's in trouble. Uh, all of those aspects of um, generosity um, are, are part of that kind of uh, offering of support in the world, way of, of selfless acting. And, and basically, um, we do that because it, it, um, it brings you know, very bright states of mind. It feels good to, to give. Um, uh, there's a lot of motivations why people might want to give, and the Buddha talks about those all the way from uh, giving um, because there's something that we don't need anymore. And so we think, okay, well, I might as well give this away rather than throwing it away. So that's kind of like one of the basic, you know, kind of maybe, quote-unquote, lower levels of generosity. It still has good results, you know, doing a good thing even for kind of a, you know, not, you know, absolutely profound motivation, still, it still helps. Um, so we shouldn't knock that down or knock that, you know, for people who, who do that. Um, and then there's a whole kind of range of, of motivations for giving all the way up to what the Buddha calls is the most noblest motivation or intention behind dana, which is that it ennobles the mind. Um, um, but we can clearly see it, in, you know, any time that we offer something, you know, what does that feel like? You know, we override maybe our sense of, oh, you know, do I really, should I really give this or should I really not give it? It's the right, you know, maybe I don't really need to do that. But if we override that and just give, you know, how many times have we done that that we say, oh, wow, okay, that really felt good, you know? It really makes me feel delight, delighted. Um, there's a, a story that uh, Ajahn Sumedho often talks about, and Ajahn Yatako actually tells this story very nicely, so I'll... I, print, I, you know, I won't do as good a job, but I'll try. And it, it won't be true to probably the exact way it happens, but uh, you get the idea of it anyway. Um, that I, it's, it's a story that Ajahn Sumedho tells um, about 
when he was on alms round once um, with his with his bowl uh, on alms for food. In this was in the West, and there was a uh, uh, a mother standing along the route, and people were you know people were standing and putting things into his bowl, uh, making food offerings uh, as they walked along, and. Um, or was a mother holding a, a young child, I don't know how old, probably a toddler, still small enough to be able to hold. And she, and I guess she had given him something like maybe a candy bar or something like that uh, to, to be as part of the food offering. And Ajahn Sumedho stopped there and, and you know, had his bowl lid off and ready to, to receive. And the, the little boy was holding, you know, say, this candy bar. And, and the mother was going, well... You know, she wasn't saying, you know, give it, do it, you know, anything like that. She was just sort of saying, if, you know, if you'd like to do it, it's right there uh, for you to do. And, and the little boy was you know, sort of considering what it is that he really should do with this candy bar. <laughs> and uh, uh, again, forgive me if I get the details wrong, but I have a memory of it being something like, you know, he, he would take it and then kind of look and sort of tentatively, no, uh, not, not quite, you know, and, and the mother was just sitting there, you know, no judgment, just wondering what was going to happen. Everybody was just sitting there. Ajahn Sumedho, I'm sure, was very equanimous about the whole thing. Doesn't matter to him. Um, and you know, maybe this happened a couple of times. But finally, the little boy reaches over and drops it in the bowl. And right at that moment, he just, ah, you know, he just has a squeal of glee on his face. You know, just like the whole brightness of. He let go of it and he released it and made the offering. And Ajahn Sumedho said it just made such an impression on him. You know, it's the act of generosity, even at that age, is just this natural, beautiful feeling that, that everybody feels. You know, and and that to me is is sort of like a really, uh, you know, good example of of the power of giving. Um, you know, that's really that's really generosity. And in fact, there's another Pali word that's called chaga, which is um, a little bit more than dana in a way. A chaga is giving also, but it's also like giving up, relinquishing, letting go in a way. And you know, and that there's not only that that generosity that's being done, but there's like on this little boy's part, even though he wasn't conscious of it, there was this this giving up. He was letting go of, of some desire or some self clinging or something like that. Like, oh, you know, this is candy bar for me, um, and he was letting go of that. And the result of that was just this sense of, of happiness, this sense of joy. Did I get the story sort of right? Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just you missed my favorite line was oh, uh, okay. Just Ajahn Smith said that uh, as the little boy, he was so guileless, and and he as he was deciding whether or not he should give it, uh, it was like this great moral dilemma. Uh, is the way you phrase it. Uh, this little boy is going through this great moral, profound dilemma: should he give it or should he not? <laughs> Oh, good. So anyway, that's the uh, that's that kind of amisadana, the the power of of giving material offerings, uh, offering of support. Another kind of uh, dana is what's called in, in the commentarial tradition again is is abhayadana or the gift of fearlessness. Um, and it's, it sounds a little bit, you know, what could that mean? How do you give fearlessness safety? But the way the Buddha explains that um, is essentially that the best way that we can offer safety uh, to other people and to ourselves is by following precepts. Um, because as most of you may know, you know, the five precepts, or at least the, four first, the first four precepts, 
are based on uh, refraining from harm, refraining from harming people, refraining from taking life of any creature, refraining from um, taking things that aren't ours, refraining from uh, sexual misconduct, acting in ways that are taking advantage of other people, uh, um, and uh, refraining from from misrepresenting the truth, you know, uh, refraining from wrong speech. Um, and that that is, that, that restraining ourselves from acting in ways that could result in harm to others, that is the biggest gift of um, safety in, that we can give to people in the world. That sense of security. Imagine, you know, if, if everybody operated under the, the precepts, the moral, five moral precepts, or the five precepts, um, if everybody in the world operated that way, you know, what would we have to fear, really? You know, what, you know, if we knew that nobody was going to be taking advantage of us or trying to, um, you know, uh, uh, deceive us in any way or um, cause us any harm, um, the sense of safety that we would all feel in, in moving through the world, how many of our different uh, motivations and ways of operating in the world uh, would just be different. We'd be so much more at ease, relaxed, um, if that were the basis for everybody's action. So that's, the, that's, the, a, gener- that's a form of generosity. You know, following precepts is a way of giving to the world, giving that sense of, of fearlessness, harmlessness. The third kind of uh, generosity or dana that he talks about is, the, um, is what's called dhamma dana, the gift of, of dhamma. So that means that as we understand the path of practice ourselves as it becomes more part of our life becomes more ingrained and and as we see the benefits of it in our own lives um, then the natural inclination is to to share it with others um, because we've understood realized the benefits of of some of these forms of practice and then um, we want to give that uh, same gift to other people and this doesn't mean in any kind of uninvited or proselytizing way, we you know it's not part of Buddhism. We only share and teach when when we've been invited. Um, uh, but it means that uh, we want to share the results of, of our uh, of our insights, of our practice, of our appreciation, of our faith uh, with others, <clears throat> and that that actually, in a way, is is one of the highest forms of giving. Um, but those are the those are the benefits of generosity. That, you know, essentially because uh, it ennobles the mind, and this needs to be like a real firm uh, practice in, in in our lives. And the, and again, the Buddha, you know, even to you know very well developed, well practiced uh, monastics in the tradition, he would say, don't ever underestimate the power of of generosity. Don't ever underestimate the power of the merit that comes from that. Um, this is a fundamental part of, of, uh, of practice. This is a fundamental part of, of right view, the power of, of giving. <clears throat> so I'll just, we could always talk more about that, but um, I think I'll just pass on to the, the, the next uh, form of mundane right view where he says, you know, there is mother, there is father. Um, we do have this, as Ajahn Yataka was mentioning earlier, this... Um, you know, you know, some of us may not have had great upbringings or have had difficult relations or maybe not even know who our natural parents are, but 
um, whether we have, were brought up by natural parents or otherwise or other relatives, I think that the concept is the same, that we owe a, a debt of gratitude for having gotten this far, at least, you know, here we are, you know, uh, in a very rare opportunity to, to hear and practice Dhamma um, and be in the world. And that this um, uh, appreciation of, of really what, uh, what our parents have done for us uh, is something um, that is fundamental to how we operate in, uh, skillfully in the world. And yeah, the Buddha talks about, he has a, um, a simile that says, you know, if, if you were to carry uh, your mother on one shoulder and your father on the other shoulder, if you were to be carrying them on your shoulders uh, for a hundred years, taking care of them, um, massaging them, you know, uh, applying uh, medicines, even, even to the point of cleaning up their excrement <laughs> uh, over this hundred years of carrying them on your shoulders, even if you were to do that, you would not have paid back the debt of gratitude that you owe to your parents. Um, why is that? Because for so many years, they, they brought you up, they cared for you, they made sure you had enough food to survive, they, they showed you the ropes uh, in some way or another, um, because here we are to, you know, uh, as the result of that. Uh, and, you know, there's just a, a tremendous amount of uh, uh, debt of gratitude that we owe. The one way, or the, the ways that one can repay one's parents is by, if they're um, not virtuous, establishing, in, establishing them in virtue. If they're not generous, establishing them in generosity. Um, basically establishing them in, in the practice and the fruits of the practice. If you can do that, if that's the situation, then you have repaid your, your debt. And I, I think about that sometimes because, you know, my, uh, I, was, I, I may both only do that to some extent with my mother because she's just not particularly interested <laughs> in, in the teaching or the practice. But, um, uh, but uh, and many of our relationships with our parents may be along those lines. So, you know, sort of one can think, well, I'll never be able to pay that, that debt in that way. Um, but there's ways that, that we can do that a little, a little bit more quietly. We don't have to be, you know, formally establishing our parents in, in these kinds of skills if they don't have them already. But just by our example and by our, the way we live our lives um, and what we bring in our relationships with them as we relate to them um, based on our own practice, based on our own understanding, even if it's not overt, um, we establish that kind of relationship with them, sharing the fruits of our, of our practice with them. Kind of the last thing along um, what I was going to talk about with mundane right view um, uh, was this notion of the fact that there are contemplatives, say, in the world who, who do have some understanding, who have uh, developed uh, insights uh, and um, uh, have received the fruits and the benefits of, of, of the practice and so what does that mean? What, you know, how do we incorporate that into our lives? And it's just by reflecting on the fact, of, the fact that we can associate ourselves with those, those people in the world. We can uh, tap into that. <coughs> <coughs> we can tap into that knowledge and practice and understanding um, and, and benefit from that. Um, the... Um, you know, one of the fundamental teachings of 
developing ourselves, of establishing ourselves uh, in the path of practice is avoiding associating with unwise people who will influence us in the wrong way, but associating with the wise. Um, you know, bringing ourselves into the company of those people who have uh, practiced and learned. Um, because it's who we associate with that's going to have a, a huge influence uh, on how we, how we live our lives. And sometimes that's not always easy if we've established long-term relationships with people maybe who aren't so skillful. How do I, how do I gently move away from that and move towards associating more with, with people who are you know, learned and wise and have realized for themselves uh, the benefits of these things. And, and that's a trick. It's not easy to do. But um, the Buddha does emphasize you know, how important that is. And it, you know, because he essentially talks about that particular factor being the first factor, the, the primary beginning factor in the establishment of, of faith, uh, of conviction in the practice. And also the, um, it's actually uh, the first, one of the first uh, conditioning factors for the uh, attainment of, of entering the stream of practice, the first level of, of enlightenment is this association with wise people. Because what naturally follows on that is um, if you're associating with people who are, are learned and, and learned and trained and accomplished, then you'll hear the teachings from them. So it's listening to the teachings is the kind of the second factor for this establishment of, of conviction. So associating with wise people, listening to the teachings. And then um, the third one is, is uh, uh, wise reflection, actually thinking about considering, uh, uh, contemplating these, these teachings uh, based on what you've heard. Uh, and the fourth one would be then practicing in accordance with what you've learned and contemplated. So if you have all of these factors uh, and work with them, um, associating with wise people, um, <clears throat> listening to the teachings, wisely thinking about them and reflecting, and then practicing in accordance with it, those are the four factors that really establish um, your uh, conviction and uh, uh, faith in the practice to the point of being able to really see for yourself. But it begins with that associating with um, people who, who are accomplished and who have realized you know, some of the fruits of the practice. So that's why he emphasized that right from the beginning, right from the fundamental aspect of I need to develop this view, I need to appreciate uh, this, uh, this particular aspect of the practice. Um, as a way of, of directing my, my uh, course of action. <clears throat> so those are just a few thoughts on some of those a uh, little bit more arcane concepts from, from Mundane Right View, uh, a little bit of an expansion on that. And as I said before, Ajahn Yataka is going to go into more depth about Kama uh, this afternoon.